Hello everyone. I hope you are doing well. We are back with another episode of Blitz Business. I hope you will enjoy this podcast. Hi Dhruv, thank you so much for coming over to Blitz Business. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much Ashish. It's uh, an absolute pleasure to be here. Great. Um so Dhruv, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself first and then we'll talk about your venture uh, Arata. Sure, sure, absolutely. So uh, I'm a Delhi guy. I did my schooling here in St. Columbus School and uh, you know graduate uh, finished up school and then went to undergraduate at uh, the University of Southern California. and i was in the business school there studying business administration and entrepreneurship um after graduating from usc i worked in banking and finance so i worked um for an equities research company in dubai uh, then worked for a listed bank in uh, orange county in irvine um and this was back in 2012 when i didn't get my h1b visa uh, and then ended up coming back to india and uh, you know at that time i was kind of heartbroken um you know because i was literally winding up 6 years of uh you know of being in the us saying bye to my friends and you know selling my car and giving up the apartment and you know saying bye to the american dream because because of a you know the lack of a work permit um but in retrospect i'm glad that you know whatever happened because it was only back in india as when i saw a lot of opportunities so and i'm sure we'll get to that um but 2012 moved back to india uh joined KPMG in consulting i was with them for about two and a half years and uh that's kind of like where my first entrepreneurial bug bit me and um at that time i was i you know i had gone for a movie with my mom and uh, she asked me to 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 get her a cappuccino uh, and i didn't want to go and wait in line uh, during the interval uh, this was at uh, PVR and uh, you know i realized that you know there's an opportunity for that and i said why don't i make a mobile app which lets people order food from cinemas to their seat because cinemas make all their money from food and beverage and that's where a lot of the profit comes from and customers i'm sure would love to be served at their seat you know because that's something that's unique to india and doesn't happen anywhere else in the world um and with that i quit my job and i started my first startup called snackit uh and we had a food ordering app and uh essentially spent you know about a year and a half running that um and uh, then eventually got an offer to kind of join PVR so you could consider it like a acqui hire they told me and the team to join them uh, bring our you know technologies and capabilities in house and uh, and then i started looking after everything from digital marketing to analytics um for PVR looking after their product both mobile app and website and at that time we were competing with the likes of book my show and paytm and that's really where i learned uh, a little bit about the power of you know of of scaling brands using the internet um and after that um while you know immediately after pbr i launched a healthy snacks brand i consulted them for a year and then i launched a healthy snacks brand called munchkins um and while selling munchkins so this was uh, basically we were making like cookies and chips and granola bars you know using oats and quinoa and ragi and really really clean ingredients because we found that there was a and when i say we it was just me uh, because i was a sole founder um you know we found that there was an opportunity to make cleaner food and beverage you know opportunities for children um and while i what i learned from that venture which i ran for about a year and then we ended up winding up because of differences between our investors and you know uh, just the opportunity at that point was that 
it's very easy to convince an Indian consumer to pay for a product that's a physical product, um, but slower to move it. Um, whereas it's very easy to scale up a software product or an app, but very hard to monetize it. Um, and it really kind of intrigued me. Um, and I really wanted to do something where I could do both. And this is before the word direct to consumer or D2C or DNBB or digitally native vertical brand even became um, a commonly used word in the Indian ecosystem. So I'm talking about 2016. And, um, and that actually led me to, to what I'm doing today. Um, and I just want to check in if, you know, if you're able to hear me and I'm not on a monologue, uh, and, yeah, not and then there's somebody else at the other receiving end. Okay. No, awesome. Awesome. So, uh, 2016, um, my good friend and co-founder Dhruv Basim, uh, he comes over, um, I was having a small get together at home and I just happened to have a conversation with him because I'd noticed he'd use a lot of styling product in his hair. And I said, listen, man, you know, if you keep doing that, you're going to lose all your hair by the time you're in your late 30s. Um, I was in my late 20s at that point, and I'd started seeing the first signs of hair fall and hair whitening. Um, and I was like, you know, you, you should really stop doing this. And he said, you know, you're not the only one who says this. My mom says this too. Um, and you'd be happy to know that my mom has been boiling flax seeds uh, organic flax seeds and has been making an organic hair gel for me to use. And literally when he said that, I was like, I was hearing the Shopify mm -hmm. bells ringing in my ears, you know, like I was hearing <laughs> orders come in and I was like, wow, if you've really figured out a safe and effective natural hair gel for us to use, there could really be something here. So why don't you send me a sample? And fortunately, Basim is a, is, was true to his word, um, and he sends me a sample two days later. And, so mm -hmm. he, and it, was, it was really funny, right? So he sent me um, this homemade boiled flaxseed gel, which looked really snotty and mucusy. And he put <laughs> it in, in an old face wash tube. And this started making me think that, is he playing some kind of a sick prank on me? Because this could be anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I said, Basim, uh, you know, if you're if you're playing a prank, let me know because I'm gullible and I'm going to go for it, right? Because this is this could be a huge opportunity. And he says, no, Madhok. Uh, and we refer to each other as Basim and Madhok because we share the first name. Um, so he says, no, Madhok, just go for it. Um, you know, I would have sent it to you in something that looked better, but I just had, a you know, an empty face wash tube lying around. So I just fill it in that. And remember, keep it in the fridge because it's 100% natural and goes bad in a few days. So... Here I am in Jan 2016 in the winter. Um, I use this product um, and I, I remember wearing it out one evening uh, for a friend's engagement. This was, you know, wedding season in Delhi. So, um, and I remember that, that the hold that I got with this natural hair gel was incredible. So there was mm -hmm. no, no flaking, no dandruff, no residue, no buildup. Uh, it held the hair really strong for at least six hours. It had, it had wonderful shine. It had a great cast. Um, the only thing bad about it was that one, it didn't smell that great uh, because it was you know, predominantly water and flax seeds. And two, that it would go bad. And, I, you know, in, in five days, I, and I had to keep it in the fridge because it was like a food product, right? It was so full of, hmm. with water and protein. So um, so I, I used it and, and there was literally no trade-off between what I was using back then 
um, at that time I was using a L'Oreal Studio Styling Gel. Um, and uh, this the Studio Styling Gel is a product that I'd been using for about 10 plus years back then. Um, and uh, that's when I'd started seeing this, the first signs of hair fall and hair whitening. So I was open to an you know a new product. And this seemed to tick all the boxes, you know, because it was doing exactly the same thing without any of, you know, the, the harsh effects. Because hair gels today will have alcohols, fragrances, parabens, DEAs, phthalates, synthetic fragrances, petrochemicals, polymers. Yes, polymers, plastic derivatives that are used to hold hair in place. Now, this stuff is really bad for your hair. It's bad for your scalp. And what goes on your skin also permeates into your bloodstream. Believe it or not, skin is your biggest organ. Uh, so I knew that, you know, this is something huge. Um, and I called up Basim the next morning and I said, look, dude, this is a huge opportunity. There's got to be more men like you and I out there um, who are looking for a safe and natural styling mm-hmm. opportunity. And um, and so that was it. That was the Eureka moment. We got together the following weekend at Starbucks. And, uh, you know, he said, I'm absolutely open to, to making a business out of this. Let's see what we can do with it. And we get together at Starbucks and, you know, we discover that the same ingredients that are used in hair gel that cause hair fall and hair whitening, the same list of, you know, uh, ingredients that I'd, I'd name like the alcohols and fragrances and parabens. And I, I realize I sound like a waiter reading off a menu when I do that. But, uh, <laughs> but those ingredients are not restricted to use. We Once we became aware and cognizant of those ingredients, we started noticing that mm-hmm. they were being used in products and services, uh, you know, sorry, in products across the board from shampoos to toothpastes to face washes to lip balms to, of course, hair gels conditioners, creams, deodorants, and customers had absolutely no idea that these ingredients were being used in the products that they were using and eventually putting on themselves and in their mouths and on their faces and on their bodies and on their hair. And there was a lot of greenwashing going on. This is 2016. We're we're seeing Mm -hmm. that there are brands that have Ayurveda in in their name and there are brands that have organic in their name and are just Mm -hmm. using the bare minimum to tick the boxes. Um, And, you know, and there's actually a lot of manipulation that happens unfortunately in the personal care and beauty and personal care industry so there are two kinds of labels ashish one is an fda Mm -hmm. license and the other is a uh, um, which is a cosmetic license and the other is an ayurvedic license now in the fda license every single ingredient is listed in a dissenting Mm -hmm. order for the customer to make an informed decision now that's what the intended use of that 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 license is and that label is to help customers make informed decisions but unfortunately majority of the customers can't look at a label and decipher what a cocoa glucoside is or a desal cocoa glucoside Mm. is now when you read these names you just assume that because it's on a label that belongs to a product that belongs to a brand that has been around for decades and generations and is available globally it must be mm-hmm. safe, right? Every a lot of these large-scale incumbent brands have a halo effect around them, uh, and that's mm-hmm. why customers tend to trust them. But what you know, what we found was there was an opportunity for us to actually translate a lot of those ingredients for the customer and help them make more informed choices. So, you know, there was one opportunity there, but the bigger opportunity actually lay in in Ayurvedic labels. So, in the Ayurvedic license, because it's marketed as a proprietary Ayurvedic medicine. You only have to disclose your key ingredients. You don't have to disclose all your ingredients. So if you were to go to your bathroom after this and pick up any of your Ayurvedic products, whether it's you know mass market or luxury, you'll see that the label says mm. key ingredients. Now, 
mm-hmm. ingredients are not collectively exhaustive of everything that goes into the formulation and essentially oh. only you know essentially puts forward or communicates or or implies to the customer that this is a natural you know formulation and you'll notice that it'll always say base qs and base mm. qs means quantity sufficient so if 5% of the ingredients are being declared in the key ingredients base qs means the balance is 95% what goes into that base is your best guess and as a result there's a lot of room for nasties to find their way into the products that we use on a daily basis and so we knew that that was one huge opportunity for us to change right suddenly it moved from just a styling company into something that could be significantly larger the second opportunity we noticed was that um and and i don't know ashish should i should i have given a background about arata or should we get to that um you know during during the course of the conversation well, during the course i think we can cover yeah, it yeah, so i'll yeah. continue with the flow um the second opportunity was we noticed that um we could find cleaner formulations but these cleaner mm-hmm. formulations belonged to brands that were imported so if you have brands like keels or loxdan these are brands that are formulated in north america or europe um and because the laws are so much more strict about what you can really use in a personal care product uh in north america and europe these products tend to be cleaner in formulation but if you bring these products to india one they're premium or luxury to begin with two you import them and suddenly you have a shampoo that's selling for 2000 rupees which can't be bought by majority oh. of the country and so mm-hmm. we realized that there's an opportunity for us to 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 make relatively you know to make clean formulations at a relatively affordable price point we could we knew that we could make the same or better formulations using the same or better ingredients the same or better packaging the same or better marketing and sell it for maybe 5 or 600 rupees so we found that there was the second opportunity there and the third opportunity was that we'd seen how the evolution of ayurvedic brands had happened and there was really wonderful you know ayurvedic brands and and i'm sure we've grown up seeing them right so uh, you know it's it's starting in you know uh, in the you know in the in the 1800s you had brands like early in the 1800s you you'd have like your local compounder would make a jadi booty pack uh, you know for your ayurvedic needs then in the 1880s you had dabar come in and standardize that product offering in the um you know in the 1970s you had imami come in in the 2000s mm. you had kama and forest really elevate that experience and make it really fantastic so improve the packaging branding marketing communications positioning fragrances ingredients everything had just been significantly elevated and we found that we could do the same thing except outside ayurveda because what was that one indian brand that we were looking for that's non ayurvedic because as gen zs and millennials a lot of us don't yet subscribe to the philosophy of ayurveda and don't necessarily look towards ayurveda in fact we're all western looking and we we aspire to the west and we aspire to be on point with global trends and you can see that today with you know the way skincare is adopting in you know in in the industry today everybody wants to use niacinamides and retinols and aha's and dha's and salicylic acids and hyaluronic acids right now nobody's talking about using uh, turmeric and using you know ashwagandha and 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 this and 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 so hmm. forth and even if they are um you know a lot of these new age brands like the supplement brands they're taking a very premium and elevated you know an edgy positioning to their ayurveda so we found that these are the three opportunities and that essentially gave birth to arata which is today a plant based 
chemical free non toxic personal care brand we have products across the board from hair care skin care mm-hmm. body care and oral care so in our oral care category we put a fantastic fluoride free toothpaste made of cinnamon and chamomile uh in our hair care we've got a, our flagship product our 100% natural hair gel which is made of 98% water and boiled flaxseed extracts and less than 2% of natural fragrances essential oils and natural preservatives so we are now an internet driven company we've been around for about 3 years uh basin and i you know quit our full time gigs and started doing this uh in in late october 2018 uh and then we ended up raising money from you know the venture ecosystem we have some fantastic institutional backers as well as individuals um and we've really ramped up you know over the last 3 years that's a that's a very fascinating journey and a very fascinating story also so i have many questions lined up <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> one thing i want to ask you so does basin mom own the ip now for the that's a wonderful question and we actually went to dina auntie and said look auntie you know and she's like mom you know do you want to be a, a partner or shareholder in the business you guys go for it you know nothing would make me happier than than having you guys because if you guys you know succeed nothing would, would would make me happier so the current ip is not owned by her in our minds and in spirit it is yes Uh, but you know yeah. legally and technically speaking if my investors are listening it's owned by the organization don't worry <laughs> yes yes it was just on a lighter Absolutely. note uh, so uh, and uh, so and coming to the um, uh, you know um, so you have a fascination for consumer brand i must say and the 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 dichotomy you were men- mentioning between a software and a physical product really uh, let me to you know it got me thinking so what's the reason you know what do you find more fascinating if we can just step back a little bit a little uh-huh. bit in terms of uh, why consumer brands you know uh, what excites you most about this segment isn't it it's more like for certain people it's very capital intensive industry to begin right. with right right no you're absolutely right historically it's been a capital intensive business um If you wanted to make uh, a yogurt manufacturing unit, you'd have to go and invest in significant capital expenditure, and then you'd have to, you know, manufacture large volumes and work with distributors and give them inventory, and then wait for them to liquidate it, and then beg, borrow, and request them to pay you back on time, and you know, and then create awareness by advertising above the line and investing in, you know, billboards and radio and print. But all of that has changed now. You can go about finding top quality talent using linkedin uh having them work on a formulation that could be uniquely yours and owned by you and get the best lawyers to protect that take that to any contract manufacturing facility across the country there are so many factories that are up and running that are looking for for more business um so you can really use that unused um you know uh opportunity and capabilities uh, without having to invest in capex So that takes away the need for investing in, you know, significantly in manpower, significantly in raw materials, and significantly in capital expenditure. Also, when you sell direct to the customer, whether it's you know through your website or through marketplaces, you get paid anywhere between one to seven days, or if you work with some third parties, maybe even thirty or forty days. But that's the very most, and that's a very healthy way of of you know of running the business. And so as a result, you don't have months and months and worth of inventory. 
you know, blocked in working capital. So again, that negates the need for a very large amount of capital expenditure. Um, and so, but, but isn't it, Dhruv, uh, it becomes easier for everyone into the market to create such sort of brands? I mean, how do you then differentiate yourself? Is it the formulation? Mm-hmm. What's your moat into this particular segment? You know, Ashish, absolutely. It's, it's a very valid question. Um, and I'm sure you would see, um, you know, any industry that, that has achieved scale through D2C uh, will release pheromones and attract a lot of competition. Uh, and the personal care industry has absolutely done that. And we can see f- like a huge amount of action in the personal care industry. Like I, I myself can just, you know, can think of about 50 names that uh, mm. may have, you know, raised venture money, maybe about 20 names that have raised significant private equity money. Um, and I can think about a hundred names that I may have seen on Instagram and, you know, Facebook over the last, you know, say two years. So you're absolutely right that, you know, the barriers to entry have significantly dropped. Um, but mm-hmm. what you said in essentially is, is essentially the key differentiator, excuse me, is, is brand and formulation. Now, if you, if you're selling a commodity, if you're selling a product that is, that has close substitutes, um, you can only compete on price, right? Um, whereas mm-hmm. if you're creating a truly innovative product and a highly differentiated product, which might require some time and effort um, and some amount of R&D monies, um, then you can go about creating a niche for yourself. And how we did it was by strengthening our flagship product, which is our hair gel. Because when you search for hair gels, there will be a hundred brands calling out saying 10 hours hold, great shine, great spikes, zero gravity. Not one brand is saying safe for daily use, chemical free, organic, plant-based and non-toxic. So we found that there was a wide space in the safe and effective styling category. And we really doubled down on it. So you're absolutely right in that you have to have innovative formulations because otherwise it becomes a price war. And the second thing you absolutely said is is spot on, the brand. But the word brand in itself is so all-encompassing, right? Because it includes everything. It includes the formulation, the product, the price point, the positioning, the packaging, the colors you choose, the color palettes, the fonts you use, the user interface and experience, the customer service, um, the unboxing experience. You know, it's it's so all-encompassing. And in each of those aspects and more that I've just talked, you know, touched upon and brand, there are ways to differentiate yourself. Um, and, mm-hmm. and we've done that by strengthening our brand, by becoming a lot more conscious and sustainable. And I think that's really mm-hmm. resonated well with our customers. So the people who love us for our unique products love us because we have products that can't be found elsewhere. And the people who like us for our other products are also loving the fact that we are 100% plant-based, that we are using only recycled plastic. My co-founder and I, we went to China a few years ago and we found a factory that's working with plastic waste, collecting waste from oceans and landfills, melting it, sanitizing Mm -hmm. it and blowing it into bottles. So all of our packaging is a hundred percent our bottles are 100 percent recycled our tubes are up to 75 percent recycled plastic now this is not only recyclable um it's mm-hmm. recycled it's already lived its life and we've given it a second life. Mm-hmm. so that's another way and the third is we are vegan and cruelty free we don't test on animals we don't source from animals we don't use insect derived ingredients uh we don't even use honey or beeswax we want to make sure we're good for you we're good for your 
environment. We're good for the animals and the ecosystem. In fact, even our labels are printed in biodegradable food grade ink. So, uh, you know, the reason why I'm going into such granularity here is to let you know that there is there are opportunities to improve and differentiate yourself on virtually every mm. aspect of the business. And on the surface, mm -hmm. when you look at two products, ours and somebody else's, it might seem that a face wash versus a face wash. But the branding game has to be so strong. Your communications and your messaging has to be so strong. And that can only be strong if you really have a strong story to tell and a differentiated offering. That's an excellent point, Dhruv, and that's what I was coming to the next. So what has been your strategy? If you if you want to highlight, for example, what channels has worked the most? What what? How does your customer acquisition looks like? Um, how did you first acquire your first 100,000 customers? So what has really worked for you to get customers on board? Right. So, um, you know, uh, when we started in... We launched in you know early to mid 2018. Uh, we launched with our website, and then we realized that you know what? Why are we, why are we not on marketplaces? They get such great footfall. We'd obviously rather have a shop in a in a in a mall with with a lot of footfall than just you know have a standalone store where nobody goes by. You really have to call people there. So we immediately listed on Amazon and Nika. Um, and what we found was uh, we started scaling in a very healthy fashion across, you know, uh, not only our website, uh, but also other marketplaces. And, you know, with Nika, it was, um, you know, more of like an organic game uh, because they didn't really have a marketing platform. Whereas with Amazon, mm -hmm. we could start investing in Amazon marketing services and, you know, bidding on keywords uh, and really trying to, you know, bite traffic or, you know, bring traffic away from some incumbents and, you know, uh, customers were looking for a hair gel. It was a very high intent marketplace, right? So, um, so those are some of the strategies we used. And then we did anything and everything under the sun. So we did influencer activities, we did seeding and gifting, uh, we did performance marketing, we did PR, we did you know you know in you know online TV series branding, web series branding. We did anything and everything uh, in the direct to you know consumer playbook. Um, but what we really found was two things one is the importance of retaining customers and two the importance of really owning a niche and interestingly when basin and i launched arata we thought hair gel and hair cream would be used predominantly by men and boy were we wrong we found that our hair gel and hair cream are being used predominantly by women and not only women with straight hair but specifically women with textured hair such as wavy and curly hair and that was a huge opportunity because nobody was really making products for women with curly and wavy hair. And as a result, we figured out that there's not much competition there so we can effectively market there. And we also mm -hmm. ended up making evangelists in that, in that mm -hmm. customer. So when if you have a problem and you know your friend has a problem too, you will go to your friend and tell them, you know, tell her or him about, you know, the solution that you found. And that's what we found happened with the curly community. When our curly, you know, friends, the curly girls and curly guys found our products that enhanced their curls in a safe and effective way that they could use on a daily basis, you know, and had we had the right shampoos and oils and styling gels and creams, they were like, why don't we talk to our friends and family about this? And 94% of our customers, and we conducted a survey on our website, 94% of our customers have spoken to their friends and family about the brand. And if you look at our tagged pictures on Instagram, each and every one of them is with, you know, men and women with curly or wavy hair. And, you know, what seemed like a niche to us really 
uh, blew me away. It's counterintuitive. 60% of our country actually has wavy curly hair, but there haven't been too many no. products for them. Yes. And um, because women have been told to look a certain way, straighten your hair, fair your skin, lighten your skin, lose some weight. There's always been these typical norms with beauty. And now people are changing that and embracing themselves. And when they do that, uh, and your products help them do that, um, they feel great and they talk to their friends and family about it. And that's essentially what's happened with us and how we've been able to scale and acquire customers. And once a customer trusts you for one particular product or one particular utility or a problem you're solving, it's a lot easier for you to convince them to try you know, if they've tried the shampoo, you'd be like, why don't you try a conditioner? Why don't you try our hair oil or, or our styling gel or a cream? And then eventually, you know, maybe be like, why don't you also try our face wash and our lip balm? And that's essentially the strategy that we've taken. It's one that's working well and it's one that we're going to continue to do, to do so for, you know, uh, for the foreseeable future because it's it's inefficient for, mm-hmm. for us to outshout everyone selling face washes True. and everyone selling shampoos. Your larger, you know, incumbents are selling it. Your deeply funded startups are doing it. So why compete in that where it's a bloodbath, right? We'd rather focus on niches, own them, expand from there, and then scale up in a more efficient fashion. That's an excellent point, Thruv. And how do you see, you mentioned a couple of uh, different activities or strategies which you have employed from PR to using influencer. I, I have talked to many, I mean, uh, uh, many D2C companies where they have a sort of a mixed reaction or mixed outcome. Right. So from your experience, I wanted to understand what has been the, from impression to sale, if I can say, you know, what, which of these uh, strategies has worked the most well. Uh, I mean, getting an impression is one thing, but converting to a sales uh, uh which channel has worked the best for you till now? Uh, if I have to say one particular channel, I'd say uh, Instagram. Uh, there's great mm-hmm. discoverability there. Uh, mm-hmm. And also by the nature of our products, when customers use our products and they flaunt how the products have helped them, uh, they do it in a visual way. So they put the image up there uh, and their friends and followers see it. And then they discover us. And then if they engage with us and then we remarket them. So that seems to be a well-oiled engine that's working for us. Now, of course, you know, Facebook and Instagram is getting more expensive by the day. So is Google. Um, But, you know, I think uh, once you get a community going, which is really the most important thing. uh, And and that brings me back to my point of finding a niche in a small, you know, a small, um, highly engaged consumer group. Um, it's the community ultimately that builds the flywheel. Um, and these are all just, you know, methods to enhance it and cast a wider net. Hmm. So currently, how many SQs do you have through and are you also um, selling internationally? Yes. Uh, so we have 17 SKUs um, and we actually sold our products um, on Amazon in the US. Uh, and we found and this was actually two years ago. Um, and we were very, you know, naive as entrepreneurs. We just had global aspirations and we were like, let's just pick up our products and start selling them in, in America. You know, the, the dream of every mm. startup entrepreneur, um, <laughs> you know, everybody believes it's such a lucrative market. And we've seen, you know, examples all around us of, you know, brands that have scaled up internationally as well. Um, it just, it just felt so sexy and we picked up our mm. products and we put it in America, uh, and you know, in the U S and, uh, and they sold out and then, we unfortunately 
didn't do any deep diving and gather any insights. We didn't make a playbook or have a framework around it. We were just so busy trying to build our domestic business that we totally forgot about it. And it's coinc- coincidentally, about a month ago, we realized that, you know what, we've already sold in America, you know, in the US with version 1.0 Arata, where we had, you know, I, what we now consider like inferior packaging and inferior quality ingredients, but we've kind of evolved. And when I say inferior, it was great to begin with. And we've kind of just improved on it, you know, in an agile fashion. But now we're in the process of selling up, setting up Amazon, North America. So Canada and US, uh, maybe Mexico. We're in the process of setting up Amazon UK uh, and then eventually Amazon Germany. And then we're also in the process of setting up our Amazon UAE and noon.com business. So, um, so yeah, actually, um, uh, it's just about scratching the surface and looking at expanding internationally. Wow, that's wonderful. That's uh, good to know. And uh, what has been your um, burn rate so far? Or are you burning or no? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, our burn has significantly reduced. So I think one of the Mm -hmm. great things with personal care, uh, which I quite enjoy with, um, you know, with food is, you know, food, I found that our margins when I was in the snacks business were, were lower. Uh, margins in the software business are fantastic, but like I mentioned, hard to monetize. Uh, but mm. personal care, our margins are seventy-five percent. Um, and since we've, you know, since we have those kinds of margins, we've been able to reduce our burn from about sixty percent of top line to forty percent, down to twenty percent. And at this current moment, in the next three to four months, we should look at having uh, a positive EBITDA and start generating cash mm-hmm. flows. So, and that's purely because we've been able to not only optimize gross margins, but also optimize marketing while keeping our fixed costs the same and then enjoy the leverage of scale. Mm-hmm. And uh, where do you see the growth coming in? Do you plan to add, for example, definitely you're adding more territories. Do you plan to add more SQs to your portfolio or enter into your agencies, uh, adjacencies, tap into adjacencies? Right. Uh, what's your right, thought on right. No, I definitely, you know, we're, we're, we're certainly building our conviction about, you know, expanding within the hair care category. Uh, and we're also looking at mm. new categories like skincare because that's also a large addressable opportunity. Um, but, you know, that being said, if we really have to, you know, define our strategy, we have a play to win strategy in hair care and a play to play strategy in virtually every other, you know, category. So, um, and I always give a very... A funny example, and uh, if my co-founder listens to this, he'd be like, oh God, not again. Um, <laughs> if you want to find the best butter chicken in Delhi, you go to mm-hmm. Moti Mahal, right? It's known for its best butter chicken. Now, mm-hmm. if you go to Moti Mahal and you've made the effort of gathering your family and friends and getting ready and going there and parking and going inside and sitting and ordering, you're not only going to enjoy your butter chicken, right? You're also going to order a dal makhni, a butter naan, a paneer tikka and the nimbu soda right Mm -hmm. so while our hair gel will be our butter chicken uh, (laughs) all our other products and other categories will make sure that we're also being able to provide our nimbu sodas and paneer maknis and dal maknis and you know butter naans if that makes sense so we are expanding to other categories uh, but of course you know we found product market fit with hair hair care and hairstyling and that's where we're going to double down and launch more products I think I will never be able to look hair gel the same way <laughs> as I used to be. <laughs> Next time you're using a hair gel, just just imagine it's the butter chicken gravy that you're applying all over yourself. 
but no no i i i'm sorry to have <laughs> no, no. If you use the alata hair gel it will it will blow your mind and it will ensure that you you don't have any unpleasant memories associated with it uh and uh, yeah I, no no i totally agree i think it's a great strategy it's typically in terms of if i can think of yeah it's it's like your uh, anchor product it's like a witch and then once you have uh, the customer is in then there are different uh, n number of products which you can pitch in and push uh, i think that's it's really like, fascinating it's like our beef yes yeah. <laughs> and what has been so dhruv you have seen you have uh, you have started couple of companies you have a very diverse experience from states to india you have worked with corporates mm-hmm. what has been your experience so far in terms of what was the most challenging aspect starting another venture compared to the previous two um so i think that there's you know there's always the same challenges of starting a venture first you know uh, building your own conviction then after you build conviction building conviction of people around you and you know people will try to you know to dissuade you not for any other you know reason or out of malice they just don't want you to to not do anything that you don't succeed at right and i think that's a very conservative approach that that you know non entrepreneurs have and i completely appreciate that so i think there's one is building initial conviction the second is you know building the you know getting people around you to build that conviction and most importantly build getting that you know your first few hires to to get them to have that conviction because ultimately you know when we started it was just two guys and an idea right and then how do you go from two guys and an idea to a company that's doing you know a 20 crore plus arr uh, turnover so it it there's so it's everything so initially i realized that you know a lot of it has to be done yourself and then eventually most of it has to be done by other people right so in the early days um you know people won't necessarily buy your story uh and uh you'll have to do a lot of the heavy lifting yourself but then there comes a tipping point and i don't know when that happens and there's no real way to define that um but then suddenly people start believing in it um and then suddenly the team starts you know your 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 new recruits start believing and you're able to recruit more efficiently and you're able to raise more venture capital and you know marketplaces take you more seriously and customers take you more seriously uh, so it's kind of like a journey um so i find that that challenge kind of seems to be constant but of course because of the nature of you know of um you know um you know of uh of of every new venture it has its own nuances you know in 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 this case you know i was mm. two ventures down one with you know moderate to you know success the other with little to you know to no success um and of course i also found you know naysayer saying you're a married man like what are you doing you know uh why you're you're mm. building castles in the clouds and you're not going to be able to raise money and there's so much competition and how are you different from patanjali and how are you going to do this and i was just like oh my god like how do i even where do i even, i can't even you know so it's like those challenges are there um and so and then it's it's not smooth it's not a, it's not a convenient journey being an entrepreneur you know jumping out you know of of your you know cushy job uh, and there and there'll never be like that perfect transition right it's not like i resigned today and tomorrow i have a you know you know a fully you know venture backed startup with you know lakhs of customers right. buying our products and great cash flows and i can take a great salary and we have an office all that stuff takes time money and effort and there are those troughs where you have to go through and really just hold on tight right 
uh, where you have no money coming in from salary because you're working full time on your venture. You haven't raised venture money yet because the you know VCs want you to be fully committed to your business before they even back it. Even then, they want to see you know significant growth before they back it. So there are lots of uncomfortable positions, and I I do recollect like even you know moving out from you know from uh, from our you know previous apartment to our new apartment. There was a time when basically. Uh, I actually liquidated some furniture and didn't buy that furniture back for a few months uh, and use the oh. cash flows from that furniture. Yeah, to just basically help me tide through my expenses. Um, so there are lots of challenges. Each one comes with, you know, each business comes with its own set of challenges. You have to be prepared for that. Um, but what I've realized is that a successful person's life is difficult and full of challenges. And even an unsuccessful, if that's a word, even an unsuccessful person's life is full of challenges uh, and difficulties. So if challenges and difficulties are going to be a part of your journey, regardless of what you do, you may as well roll with the punches and just hold on for dear life and just keep doing what you're doing. Wow. I think that's a, that's an uh, excellent analogy. I mean, I think you're really good with analogies. I've learned a lot today. <laughs> Thanks, Ashish. This is also my uh, my first podcast, and, uh, and I'm realizing that this is you know I, I can do this for a living. So if you want me on the next one, let me know. <laughs> I will definitely let you know to start another series. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. That's that's wonderful, Dhruv. I mean, I uh, I think uh, and coming to the uh, the previous point, I think uh, it's a very rewarding journey for sure. I mean, you learn a lot and mm-hmm. uh, as you mentioned, right, you have to stick through these tough times. Uh, right. Everyone has to go through. It's not like right. an easy transition. Right. But I think at the end of the day, at the um, it, it's, it's a quite rewarding experience altogether what you can build, achieve uh, and uh, deliver mm-hmm. different products Absolutely. or services. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, wonderful, wonderful, Dhruv. Uh, to wrap it up, um, I wanted to ask you my final and one of my favorite questions. So if sure. you were to start again, uh, if you were to go back in uh-huh. time and if you were to start right. from scratch, what would you have done differently? Right. Uh, not shut down my first <laughs> venture um, because I'm a true believer uh, in that if you stick stick it through, Literally, you mm-hmm. know, it's a very famous saying, uh, luck is equal to opportunity meets preparation. And I think mm. about it sometimes if I hadn't just basically, you know, exited my first business and, you know, handed off the technology to someone else and run, run it as my own brand, um, you know, once the lockdown happened uh, or even, you know, a few years before that, once the food tech space really picked up, like, it would have been a fantastic opportunity. It would have essentially been like the, the Paytm moment during Demon, right? Um, mm-hmm. So it would have been, you know, where, where you can't, where you'd have to essentially order ahead from restaurants, coffee shops, and cinemas before you go. Um, and it would have been a, an absolutely perfect use case. And that's a simple, like, reminder to me in life and that what, when the going gets tough is, is really when you have to stick it out. Now, I know there's no real way to, you know, because you don't want to be foolhardy and do something that's not working. Um, but mm. if you believe in yourself long enough, you will pivot and find something that works uh, and then, you know, and then scale that up. And, and when, once you realize you've, you've reached its, you know, it's reached its truest potential, you can then move on to, you know, to, to a bigger opportunity or to greener pastures. Um, but never set yourself short. Um, 
you know, there's that would have been the one thing that I would have done differently. Just continued my first venture till today, and I'm sure it would have been a phenomenal success. Wow, wow, uh, that's that's pretty amazing and very insightful. And thank you so much, Dhruv, for coming over to Blitz Business for this wonderful uh, podcast. Thank you very much, Ashish, and I'm looking forward to hearing myself. or you know on your spotify and the one thing i really dislike doing is hearing my own voice on voice notes now i will go through 45 minutes of listening to myself but please listeners i hope you enjoy this uh, and thanks again ashish uh, and look forward to staying in touch and you know hopefully doing another one of these in some time thank you for listening we will be back with another episode of blitz business stay tuned